You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Tuesday afternoon, 2 to 4 p.m. on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Call into the show at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast. He's really good at off-season sports talk when it comes down to talking about Auburn football and, and something that he's well known for doing is creating list and list dominate the offseason talk when it comes to football or football offseason because you got to find stuff to talk about football related everybody always wants to talk about football and list is a great way of generating conversation and even going down rabbit holes on other topics and previewing the upcoming year and he's really good at that And so that's the inspiration behind our first segment today with Auburn football because it does feel like Auburn football news continues to dwindle as the time goes on. And so we'll dabble in lists as well as we go on through the offseason. I encourage everybody to go and check out Zach's podcast, Locked on Auburn podcast. He'll be joining us tomorrow on the show. I make an appearance on the podcast as well for tomorrow's show for him, our Wednesday trade-off. And so... Uh, I encourage everybody to go and check those out uh, to to hear our conversation and, and breaking some things down. It, it'll be a conversation tomorrow. Will be about breakout players, guys who will take steps forward next season for Auburn football and, and ranking those guys. So that that's a fun conversation that we'll have and something that you should definitely go and check out. What will be opening the show today is Auburn's offensive coaching staff is finished. It's done. It is complete. They have their five coaches. Going through that list there, at offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, at offensive line coach Will Friend. You've got the two Williams at the two skill position locations, Cornelius Williams at wide receiver, and then Carnell Williams at running back. you got the two C-Wills, right, at running back and wide receiver. And then at tight end, you've got Brad Bedell. Those are the five guys that Auburn has filled out its offensive coaching staff with. And we are going to rank this offensive coaching staff. We want to hear from you. Once again, the phone number to call, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Which hire are you most excited about on the offensive side of the football? Is it the retention of Carnell Williams or is it one of the four new faces that we are seeing arriving on the planes for the upcoming 2021 season? We'll do this for the defensive staff as well, but that's not complete yet. We're still holding our breath and hoping that Travis Williams returns at linebacker or to see what other decisions are made. Is it an outside linebacker's coach that is hired? Is it a safeties coach that is hired? We will see. I wouldn't be shocked. I think it could be an outside linebacker's coach that is hired. I don't know what role Derek Mason is going to be playing on the defensive side of the football 
and what position group he may have his hand in more. In college, he played cornerback. So maybe he'll have his hand more on the defensive backs than he will on linebackers. and Or it could be vice versa. You never know. Linebackers have been a hallmark of his defenses. That has been what his defenses have been known for are, are athletic front sevens that plug gaps and are hard to play against. So we'll know more about that defensive side of the ball in days to come. Still hires to be made over there. But let's get into the offensive side of things and ranking offensive coaches. And Levi, I would assume that we have the exact same five on this list. And if not, I'm questioning you a little bit. You think so? I think so. So please just go ahead, tell everybody who's five. Number five for me is going to be Brad Bedell. Great. There we I go. I just don't think it's, I, and that's nothing You can't against, go anywhere else with it. Nothing against Coach Bedell. Nothing against the, it's just the position group itself. It's the tight end position group as a coach. It's not the flashiest hire. It's not the best hire. It's just one of those hires that it didn't really, just it doesn't have a whole lot of impact right now. And this could end up being the best hire. Who knows? Again, everything could change. But for right now, I think that is probably the least exciting, the least impactful. But that doesn't detract anything away from the hire itself. I just think that's a pretty consensus, very safe, very baseline number five coaching pick for you know ranking the offensive pick so far. It doesn't feel like you see tight ends coaches coming in, being movers and shakers inside a program. Exactly. You know? Now, I think Larry Porter was very valuable to Auburn's previous staffs because of what he brought to the recruiting side of things. Of course, he was also on the special teams. He was also H-backs coach, which this is the equivalent of H-backs coach at Auburn moving forward. I think you begin to see the H-back phased out of Auburn's philosophy moving forward. Gone are the days of just primary blocking tight ends. You're going to see guys being asked to do both, pass, catch, and block, and honestly, there will probably be an emphasis put on pass catching tight ends or or primarily it will be pass catching tight ends moving forward possession light tight ends guys that can also stretch the field vertically guys that can move right now what we've seen Auburn play at tight end heavily at the moment is JJ Pegues and John Samuel Shanker those guys can't move they're as rigid as they come they're huge guys they don't move well. They're not primary pass-catching options. I think that changes next year. It's funny, the least impactful coaching hire for this offensive staff also happens to be what I think could end up being the position group that takes the biggest step forward next year from a usage percentage because Auburn virtually doesn't use the tight end. They use the tight end in a very archaic way right now. They, I believe, will begin to use it in a very updated and new age way. It's funny that the least impactful coaching hire could end up being the position group that we see make such uh, such a bigger difference than what we're accustomed to seeing in this Auburn offense. But at the end of the day, the tight end coach is not your most valuable coach on your offensive staff or any offensive staff. And it is. that, that That's interesting. What does that say about your other position groups and why aren't those stepping up their game so let's move it on to four I'm going to take four right here and then I'll let you go I have a feeling we'll also be in a similar vein here four I'm going with Cornelius Williams is that the same for you as well same same here for me as well I was trying to decide between Cornelius Williams and Carnell here and Auburn fans maybe are shaking their head and discuss okay that's that's something we can agree with though because if I assume you have 
I have Cornell at three as same. well. Okay, so we both have we're both chalk right here on the same same list right now. And uh, we're probably going to have the same list then. Yeah, I agree with you with uh with those two. I was flipping back and forth between which one I thought would go where. And again, it I know like you said, a lot of Auburn fans probably shaking their head that we were even considering to put someone above Carnell Williams in this coaching. Well, how list, about this then? I will play devil's devil's advocate with you. Let's go. You tell me why Cornelius Williams should be four. I'll tell you why. I almost put Carnell Williams at four. So I think Cornelius Williams is only at four for me simply because of just a lack of experience at the Power Five level. I think what he has done at Troy, especially the past year with this the stats that we rattled off yesterday about how impressive that passing game had been under him, I think that is a really good stat line that, honestly, it bodes well for – it just really bodes well for what I think could be a big improvement for him. He's an Alabama guy. He knows about the state. He's been around at almost every college in the state at this point. So I think I, maybe I'm you know putting a little bit too much on him. I just feel like that the only reason I put him down lower is simply because of the lack of experience. I, I like to hire a lot, and I think it's a really good hire that could unlock some potential out of this head co- or out of this coach, but. It's, again, it's just a lack of Power 5 experience. We haven't really seen it. He does know the area. There's a lot of upside to it. But, again, it just really comes back down to that. Can he do this at the Power 5 level? Cornelius Williams, we've seen the stats and whatnot. You look at his production at Troy. So I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here with you to say why he could be put ahead of Carnell Williams. Track record of production right now between Cornelius and Carnell, 14 all Sunbelt selections for Cornelius Williams at wide receiver. Also had passing game coordinator added to his title. Had 290.2 yards passing per game at Troy last year. Auburn significantly needs revamping in that area of their offense. I think he brings the knowledge, the know-how to help Auburn do that. Question marks remain to be seen about if he can do that in the SEC. But track record-wise right now, as far as coaching experience too, coaching at the collegiate level, he's got more years on Carnell Williams. He's done more at the collegiate level than Carnell Williams has up to this point, and you can't refute that. Carnell Williams has done more, though, in the SEC because he's been there. He's been there for two years up to this point, and that's it. That's all he's done. And the only player that he can hang his hat on right now is Tank Bigsby. And that's why it was so big to bring back Carnell Williams because you see the mass exodus of players off of this Auburn staff, or not Auburn staff, Auburn roster, including in the running back room where there are now only two scholarship players. Of course, Carnell Williams recruited Tank Bigsby. And then I don't think we've seen enough from Tank Bigsby yet to know about Carnell Williams' development. The two primary running backs that Carnell Williams has developed in Auburn or has coached in Auburn, the two primary running backs, we'll go with three here actually, Jatarvius Whitlow, Sean Shivers, and then Tank Bigsby. We get one year out of Tank Bigsby. You can't say anything about development because you've only seen him one year. He's only played his freshman season. Players in basketball, football, whatever level it may be, college, pro, They experience the biggest leap in their development from their first year playing to their second year playing. Not their first year in the program, but their first year playing to their second year playing. 
So with Tank Bigsby, next year is what I want to see. Did he get better? If he didn't get better, well, I have question marks for it. I think we've seen Sean Shivers improve under Carnell Williams' tutelage. Jatarvius Whitlow, I don't think we did. So when I'm looking at his sample size right now, it's not a lot. We don't know a lot about Carnell Williams yet to make an assumption or a judgment on his ability to develop running backs. Recruit? Yes, we can. He brought in Tank Bigsby. He's obviously cultivated a relationship with one of the best running backs in college football or what will be one of the best running backs in college football. He's already one of the best running backs in the SEC. So, yes, he can recruit the position, but also we only have a one-year sample size for that as well. And Auburn did lose a really good running back in this class as well. Is that Carnell's fault? Probably not. That's probably the turmoil of what the program program went through. So we don't have enough on Carnell yet, which is why he doesn't crack the top. He, it's why he does not crack the top two for me. He's on. He's third on my list, but I'm playing devil's advocate with you. Why we could have slotted him at four, three and four there between Cornelius Williams and Carnell Williams really is a push. One's got one thing on the other, but the other one has one on the other and vice versa, right? So I, I think it really came down because it seems that you – I mean, we obviously agreed on the, our positioning. I think it really came down to just the recruiting of Tank Bixby. I think that was, at least in my opinion, that was what kind of pushed. One hundred percent. That's very, it. It's a very three A three B, you know, four A four B. It's a very very narrow margin. I think just recruiting a a player like Tank Bixby to Auburn. I think that's what at this very moment puts Coach, you know, puts Carnell Williams above Cornelius Williams, at least in this ranking sure. that we have right now. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a narrow, narrow margin margin right now. Between, in general, SEC experience as well, yes. I'm weighing more also. So once again, I was just playing devil's advocate with you. It wasn't as mu- it's not a knock on Carnell Williams when I'm describing. It's more of a, it's more attributing to what I think could be a could turn out to be a really good hire for Auburn at wide receiver yes. with Cornelius Williams. So we just haven't seen we really haven't seen either's potential fully yet. No, so we that, that's why it's so hard to put one of those guys ahead of the other one. So but again, we agree three, Carnell four, Cornelius. One thing can be said about Cornelius Williams is that he developed Troy talent. He's got a whole lot more talent in this receiver room, but he's gonna he's gonna have to put it on display immediately. New wide receivers all across the board for Auburn this upcoming year. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM. Previous segment, we're ranking Auburn's offensive coaching staff as far as hires and impact for this program moving forward. We got five through three there. At the top of the second hour, starting at three o'clock, we'll do one and two for you. If you missed that first segment, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Call in 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. If you disagree with us, if you have thoughts on what we've talked about so far or anything that you want brought up on the show, go ahead, call in. We'll talk to you about it. I feel like some people may be shaking their heads in disgust with my opinions on Carnell Williams, but really it's just reservation on the position. I just don't think we have a large enough sample size yet. It's a favorite of mine, too. Grew up watching the guy play ball. He is an Auburn favorite of mine. Don't don't get me wrong. 
I just think that we could use a little bit larger of a sample size, and it felt like Auburn brought him back. He's the one guy off of the staff that was retained. One guy. And I think most people would agree Travis Williams was the guy you would rather have brought back if you could only choose one. He was the one guy that got brought back, possibly because you didn't want to lose a certain running back, right? I, f- I feel like it was to appease Tank Bixby and keep him there. It's very it just, possible. It, just, it seems... It seems like that's the case, and you're, and there's nothing wrong with you're really trying to be reserved about what you think about Coach Carnell Williams right now, and you're trying not to look at it through that through the Homer, the nostalgia goggles that you have from growing up watching him. I mean, both of us grew up. That was, you know, he was a part of that 2004 undefeated season when we were kids, and I mean, it just it means a lot more when you were a kid watching him. A lot of people watched him at that age, and we're just trying to be reserved. We're trying to separate the player from the coach and sometimes that's hard to do jeremy law joins us in our next segment of radio alabama sports and something that he says a lot of times is just because you were a great player does not necessarily mean you're going to be a great coach that's kind of like a logical fallacy and i agree completely with him on it his logic on it is that there are players out there that make great coaches that although they weren't good players they make great coaches because they were the guys who had to dig into it into the scheme things didn't come easy for them they had to dig in and learn the game they were always on the sideline they were the guys like Cord Sandberg who were holding the clipboard and had the headset on they had more time to soak up the finer things things just didn't come easy easy to them all the time they're the ones who are going to know how to teach somebody they're also going to know the issues in the game as well they're going to know the potential pitfalls that may come for a player if they don't understand it because they too may not have understood it but eventually learned it and had to learn it in order to become a coach carnell i don't know i'm not gonna sit here and say things came easy that's not what i'm saying but he was an excellent player so just because you were an excellent player doesn't necessarily mean you become a great coach, but sometimes it does work out that way. Tracy Rocker, he's always he's always on somebody's staff. Great player. It happens, too. There is no one way or the other, but it is a logical fallacy just to assume that someone's going to be a great coach because they were a great player. Let's move on from this. Let's head into some SEC news. I want to try and every day just kind of do an SEC news roundup of what's going on. And you have some opinions on what's taking place or at LSU or at what's now not taking place at LSU. LSU yesterday reports had it that they were on the verge of hiring Saints defensive line coach Ryan Nielsen, but that has since changed. You, as the House Saints fan, you know a little bit about this guy. You know a lot about this guy and what this hire could have meant for LSU. Take me through this situation right now. So it seems that Coach Nielsen, who has been serving as the defensive line coach for the New Orleans Saints, and arguably a really hot name, especially – it's one of those guys that you don't that a lot of buzz hasn't been about, but he has a really good track record. As you see, he's gotten so much and developed so many like so much talent with that Saints defensive line. Obviously, Cam Jordan has been amazing. You have Trey Hendrickson, the you know who was uh, second in the league in sacks this year, third round pick out of FAU, got the most out of him. Marcus Davenport has shown a lot of promise when he's healthy. Sheldon Rankins, Tyler Davison, a lot of guys. David Onyemata, all so many guys who have actually developed and hit. What would arguably you would think on when they came out on draft day, they hit a ceiling that they didn't expect out of a lot of these guys. And it's it would have been a really, really strong hire for LSU. But I think Coach Nielsen probably used that as a little bit of a leverage point with 
Dan the Man Campbell leaving from the Saints staff, the assistant coach, taking the job in Detroit. And I think Nielsen wanted a little bit of an upgrade. And I think he used this to kind of finagle his way into that assistant coaching role and with reports of Dennis Allen, the Saints defense coordinator, possibly interviewing with the Eagles tomorrow. It might shape up to where Coach Nielsen ends up taking over the defensive coordinator for the Saints. So it kind of seemed like a move that he wanted to stay in the NFL, probably use that as a little bit of a leverage point. It's a big loss for LSU because I think that would have been a really, really solid and probably underrated move that they could have made to really shore up that defense. Especially, They were on the verge of hiring him for defensive coordinator. I, yes. I want to add that. Yes. I don't know if I specified that when I opened this segment. They were on the verge of bringing him to coach the entire defense. Now that's a Joe Brady-like move. I, yes, and I think that's something that I think it would have been really, really good for LSU. I mean, again, you've seen him develop talent out of guys who it wasn't expected. Trey Hendrickson, again, I can't harp enough, second in the lead in sacks. Third-round pick out of FAU. It was not expected that he was going to be this kind of guy on the defensive line, and that's just something that Coach Nielsen has done at his time in New Orleans, and I would, I think – you bring him into a place like LSU where you're going to get a lot of top-tier recruits, especially on the defensive line, that could have been a nasty defense. And it's a big loss that they weren't able to secure a deal with him. I'm thankful. As resident Saints fan, I'm glad that we are retaining him. But <laughs> I think that's a pretty big – it's hard to say loss because he never really was there, but, you know, a miss. It's a, it's a bad miss because LSU – I think that would have been a really good hire for them at the defense coordinator position there's something nfl guys do really well most of the time nfl coaches know how to evaluate talent and i also say you know more than half the time they know how to develop really well some coaches aren't as good at development but they they know how to evaluate and get established talent in through free agency and whatnot there there are there are coach archetypes in the nfl as well just like there they are in college what's different in college is you have your developers in college you have you have your recruiters the, re, the recruiter equivalent in the nfl seems to be evaluators slash you can sell a guy on coming through free agency right and a lot of times that that has a, a lot more factors in the nfl sometimes then, or, or I shouldn't say a lot more. There are different factors in the NFL to bring guys to a program than there are in college because now money's involved, location is involved, taxes, finances, all that gets involved at the next level. Small, small market teams have a hard time bringing in free agents because of money and location and whatnot. College, it's, it's not necessarily that way. It, it is still, obviously, there are teams – like Alabama, they're, they're your blue bloods of college football who are always going to be great at recruiting, but it's for different reasons, different factors in college than it is in the NFL. I think it would have worked really well for a defense. We, we don't know what he would be like as a recruiter at the collegiate level. I think that's something that NFL coaches, when they come to college, they struggle with. Some of them struggle with the transition. It's a different game, and recruiting is very difficult to do. Now, LSU, though, they're one of those programs that doesn't have a hard time recruiting. So he would get to come in, he would be a good evaluator of talent, a good developer of talent, and he would have a lot to work with at LSU. I agree with you. This is a, this is a miss for LSU. They maybe never were actually on the verge of him. It, it, it does seem to be a leverage move when you talk about their defense coordinator in New Orleans possibly moving on to take over the head coaching job for the Philadelphia Eagles, which would be a huge step up for him because talk about a guy walking into talent on the defensive side of the ball in Philadelphia, I know he's being, I know he's going to be the head coach and he's got some quarterback situations to work through in Philly, but still, the defensive room 
especially that front seven at Philadelphia. There's a lot to work with there. Switching gears here, another team. This team does look like they'll be adding some NFL experience to one of their staffs. Vanderbilt's hiring Ravens defensive backs coach Jesse Minter to be their defensive coordinator. And between adding their head coach from, from Notre Dame as their defensive coordinator and then now adding some NFL experience onto this staff, I'm really liking what Vanderbilt's putting together right now moving forward into a new era. They're bringing in guys who have good pedigrees. Will it work out? Vanderbilt's one of the hardest jobs in all of college football, not only because they're in the SEC, but because they're hampered by what feels like recruiting handcuffs, right? Like they have the stringent academic parameters that they have to recruit into, and it's hard to get guys to Vanderbilt under those parameters, not only because the the program also just doesn't have the prestige that other places do. If you're a high-profile recruit in Tennessee and you want to stay in-state, you're going to Knoxville. Now, maybe not. This is a good thing. Maybe for Vanderbilt, what's happening across state and Knoxville, but I like what Vanderbilt's doing, trying to bring experience into their staff, guys that know what they're doing, how to evaluate talent, and know how to develop talent and work with it. Uh, Vanderbilt's bringing in a defense coordinator from the NFL that too knows how knows a little bit about putting together good defenses especially with his track record with defensive backs and you know probably better than i do know a little bit to too f- much about the ravens defense having to face the ravens defense every <sighs> year and you know marlon humphrey's been a guy who's been outstanding for the ravens we both have our opinions about marcus peters but he has been he's great he's i think he leads the league in interceptions the past two or three seasons which was a stat that I thought was absolutely insane. I did not realize that he was the one leading the league in interceptions. But yeah, I I agree. I really like the move to go back down or go to the NFL to try to find a guy who has been developing talent. That's just something that NFL coaches are a lot better at evaluating talent and developing talent and getting the most out of guys. And you've seen over the past few years how good this Ravens defense has been. I mean, they're top six in passing defense this year alone. It's it's a good move to really go out and get a guy from the NFL like that, especially when you're at Vanderbilt where you're not going to get a lot of high-profile recruits. So you want a guy who can really evaluate probably underrated talent and then take that talent and develop it as well. He's also got experience. Mentor does as defensive coordinator at the college level. He coached at Georgia State, so he knows a little bit about being at a small school with limited talent more of online we got jeremy law on the other side of this break stay on the line more of the show when we come back you are on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. And joining us on the show this afternoon, Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports, our Alabama correspondent here on the show. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man? What's going on, guys? I'm doing well. I hope uh, y'all are doing well also. There is a, a certain uh, big basketball game on tonight that I know will have your interest. Alabama ranked... For the first time since December 2017, they come in at number 18 in the poll. And my reaction for, for, for this week, seeing Alabama crash into the top 25, is what took everybody so long to get these guys 
into the top 25 because they just came crashing in like a meteor into number 18 and it's like we couldn't have gotten them into the 20s like a week or two ago so your thoughts on the team being ranked well no, not the best week to get ranked right you have a chance to possibly fall back out of the polls right here you're on the road against a really really good lsu basketball team they got three guys that are tough to stop averaging around you know 20 points a game uh, Watford's still out there, a guy that Alabama would love to have on their team. But I think what took so long, Noah, is the fact that Alabama had three kind of losses that you scratch your head. I mean, they come out the second game of the year, get blown out by Stanford in, in the Maui. Then you drop one to Clemson where you shot 13% from deep. You play Western Kentucky. You don't know how much time is on the clock down the stretch or you didn't know exactly what the score was. Uh, kind of a controversial end of that game, but you lose that one. But ever since December 29th, when the tide opened up in conference play against Ole Miss, this team looks like a top 15 basketball team. They've essentially throttled everybody they played in conference outside of Auburn. A 31-point win over Arkansas, a 20-point dub in Rupp Arena, uh, blowing out Florida, Tennessee. I mean, these guys are absolutely hot right now. But the big question is, is does it come to an end tonight? In the Bayou, you know, LSU, a great basketball team, a good coach, regardless if he's a cheater or not, and uh, we'll, we'll see. It's a big one. Is this for first place in the SEC? You talk about some of the reasons why Alabama, why, why it took them so long to get ranked. Something that I want to point out and what I noticed with Auburn and their ascension over the years is people just don't watch Alabama basketball. I don't, I don't mean University of Alabama basketball. I just mean period state of alabama basketball just isn't on voters minds it feels like and even even some other sec schools it's not on their minds as well it seems like it's harder to get sec teams ranked than others so shifting this discussion then about alabama basketball prestige right now because obviously they're tearing it up on the recruiting trail what is it going to take for alabama or, or is it heading that direction how do you perceive the alabama basketball prestige you know, kind of in comparison to what Bruce Pearl was able to do from a prestige standpoint for Auburn basketball, what's their trajectory like for Alabama basketball if they want to get that same type of respect in the college basketball community? This is going to sound cocky to a lot of people in Auburn, Noah, but historically Alabama is the second best program in the SEC, only behind Kentucky. I don't think Alabama is far from prestige. I think that you're 100% correct. SEC basketball outside of Kentucky is what I would consider very, very close to being West Coast football. You just don't watch Oregon. It always seems like if the Washingtons or the Oregons are going to be up there in college football playoff talk, it's towards the end of the year when you're looking around and saying, oh, man, Washington's 7-0? They're 8-0? Oregon's putting a nice season together? Colorado, even out there in the past, well, they're, they're undefeated right now, maybe late in the year. Kind of like that in the SEC. But the good thing about basketball is you just win and you, and you keep on playing, right? This isn't You're not vying for four spots at the end of the year if you get hot at any time of the year and you make the tournament you don't really have to have prestige but Alabama is up there in prestige second all-time in win all-time in wins in the, in the southeastern conference they got a good coach right now they love to shoot the three ball and I, I think for Alabama they just I think they've been very close they were close under Avery Johnson they were close last year I think what, what taking the next step for Alabama is can they keep it together in the second half of SEC play? It has been a complete meltdown for almost my entire childhood to where I stand here as a 28-year-old. Second half of SEC play, Alabama fumbles around and loses five games that they should not lose, and they're in the first four out, last four in, or they're sitting there on the second four out, and you're just scratching your head asking yourself, 
what happened to Alabama in the last three weeks of the basketball season? Everybody knows that Alabama's been the hottest team and the best team in the SEC, but LSU quietly 8-0 at home, and they've only lost one in their last 10 games. What does Alabama have to do tonight to avoid that on-the-road upset of LSU? Yeah, you know, I'm not so sure it's an upset. They're a one-point favorite. LSU is at home. ESPN FBI has them at like a 67% chance of winning, and it's because LSU is so good at home. Like you just said, Levi, that only losses to Florida. I think what Alabama has to do with, you know, very limited fans in attendance in, in LSU's arena is they have to do what Alabama always does under Nate Oates with the recipe for success. They need to shoot 75% at the free throw line, make the free throws down the Key for Alabama, look at their losses on the year. They're shooting sub-25% from deep. Like I mentioned earlier, I think it was against Clemson or Western Kentucky. One of those two games, they shot 13.1% from deep. That is not how Alabama can win basketball games, especially with Jordan Bruner going to be out for maybe five to six more weeks or three to four more weeks, depending on what his timetable is and how he heals from that meniscus tear. Alabama can't shoot sub-35 in this game from deep and expect to win. They're going to need to be around 50% from the field. They're going to need to be around 39 to 42% from three-point land, which is where they have been throughout the entirety of this run outside of the, uh, the game at Auburn, where I think they shot 33%. The recipe for Nate Oates is simple. We're going to shoot a lot of threes. When we make threes, we're going to get energized on defense. And I've always told Noah this. It always feels like Alabama, if they're not making shots, they quit on the defensive end. And that's why you've seen a lot of lopsided losses over the last few years in Alabama basketball. The guys, they really don't buy unless they're filling it on offense. And it's easier to play defense when you're making shots. You have a lot more energy. NATO's has to have this team hit threes, set up plays for open shots. And if they hit those threes, this team can run away from almost anybody in the country. And, and that's kind of what we've seen, them beating some really good basketball teams so far in SEC play. Do you have a prediction for tonight's ballgame? You know, I, I, I thought Kentucky would win a close one, Noah. And so do I pick against Alabama in hopes that we keep the hot streak going? I just think LSU is a good basketball team as I'll pull up some of these stats on my phone as we talk. I mean, from what they have, what they put together, Thomas, the guard, you know, he's a 22.1 per game guy. That is way ahead of Alabama's leading score with Shackelford at about 13.2. Watford's averaging nearly 19. Smart averages over 15 they have you know they got four guys averaging double figures that's just tough to do with i know you can say what you want to about will wade in this lsu program but they know how to win they win big time basketball games this is a tough place to play alabama's going to struggle on rebounding especially on the defensive end can they limit lsu possessions in this game i'm not so sure that they're going to be able to do that with Reese running up and down the floor logging a lot more minutes than he's used to Jawan gary's going to have to come in and make an impact the guy has 23 points in his last seven games. 15 of those came in one game. The guy has been horrible. I think he only has he has 23 points and 22 fouls in his last seven games. They have to limit the minutes Rojas plays. They have to hit their threes, and they can win. I just think LSU squeaks out a little, squeaks it out just a little bit on the scoreboard against Alabama here. I think this could be easily be a 77-74 LSU win where nobody really loses respect for Alabama. LSU would take first place in the SEC, obviously, but head in SEC play uh, for the rest of this year. Last question here before we let you get out of here. We're speaking with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. You know, you you love to talk about that that program north of here in, in Tennessee. 
and uh, it's a little bit of a, a what I'm liking to call right now a dumb stir fire right now up in Tennessee. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts and what you're perceiving with this Tennessee program after firing Jeremy Pruitt. You know, does he end up back in the Nick Saban rehabilitation uh, school for coaches? That that that's just a joke there. But your thoughts on what's going on in Tennessee right now? I, I, who knows what's going on in Tennessee right now? Jeremy Pruitt's trying to get all his money. He thinks that he is fired without cause, especially on his part. Now, we know in college sports, Auburn's dealing right this, with this right now in basketball. Assistant cheat because assistants want to get farther in their careers. So, I mean, from that standpoint, who knows what Jeremy Pruitt knew? We got McDonald's bags filled with cash. <laughs> I mean, what is going on in Knoxville? Like, when I read that today, guys, I was it, it, you laugh, but it's also like, how has is, how is Tennessee gone this far with and, and gone down this trail so badly since 07? They've had one 10-win season since 07. That was in 07. Alabama has also only had one 10-win season and that was just a minimum of 10 games. Alabama's won 10 or more games since every year since 2008. Look at how these two programs have flip-flopped since Nick Saban's been in Tuscaloosa. What a joke. What a dumpster fire. Jeremy Pruitt, I'm not even sure he's touchable right now for SEC schools, depending on how an NCAA violation, um, how this, this um, I guess, investigation goes. Look at Bo Davis. It took him six or seven years just to end up back in the NCAA ranks going over to Texas with Sarkeesian. To Alabama fans, it's hilarious. It's karma. You love to see it. And as long as Tennessee's down, I know a lot of people in this state will be happy. Jeremy, appreciate you, man, for jumping on the show with us today. Hope you have a hope you have a good time tonight watching the ball game, and uh, hope you have a good evening. Thanks, guys. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. I always love to uh, to to josh with him a little bit about about what's going on North because you know he, he loves to rib with Auburn fans a lot about you know saying that Tennessee's their main rival, which. You know, Tennessee hasn't beaten them in 5,000 days. Feels like 5,000 years, and it could be another 5,000 days after what's going on. It's something I want to point out. You know, he's talking about the Tennessee, you know, recent history for them. We said this on the show yesterday. Go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We said this on the show yesterday. The decade of the 2010s was the worst decade in Tennessee football history, and it's not even close. Not even close. Six losing seasons in the 2010s they start off the 2020s with a losing season making it seven in the last 11 years they've had a losing season the next decade with the most uh, with the most losing seasons was two they never had more than two losing seasons in a decade in Tennessee football history stretching all the way back to like the 1920s and who cares what happened before the 1920s because that's over 100 years ago they didn't even play like six game seasons back then this is the worst the worst time period in Tennessee football history ever and it's not even close. And now you're coupling it with potential NCAA penalties, NCAA sanctions that could send this program into another 10-year spiral. And it could be a 20-year period of absolutely nothing in Knoxville. That'd be terrible. And it, it's also not only for the fact that it's bad right now. It's bad for the SEC. The, la- the laughable nature of money going into McDonald's bags. It makes That's it worse. It has to make it worse. Happy like, meals are on a whole nother level. It's just... <laughs> It's just the meme of it all. It just it really culminates as every year you've heard this is Tennessee's year, this is Tennessee's year, and now it might not be Tennessee's year for another for long fifteen time. years. For a long time, we've never seen a program. This program is on the verge of the precipice of falling into a a, a bottomless pit. It really feels like it, especially if these if because you look at the termination letter 
for, for Tennessee and some of the wording of that, 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 you know, student athletes eligibility is in concern. And now you see these McDonald's bags and, 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 and that if these penalties truly are that severe from the NCAA, like Ole Miss level treatment, that's starting out the 2020s on a bad note and you're not going to dig out of it by the end of the 2020s. I mean, if you are coming out of it, it's at the end of this decade. I don't see how for the foreseeable future, the next four or five years, this Tennessee program can fathomably think about a winning record. We don't even know what direction. They they even just lost their athletic director. Like, I don't know how they can fathomably, you know, say in the first half of this decade that they're going to come out of it. And then you really don't see the build begin until like 2025, probably, you know. That's when you, that's when you can, we don't even know what these penalties could be. This Tennessee program, a top 10 team right now and wins all time amongst FBS schools. They're 10th on the list. Could be just absolutely re- what we said yesterday, reduced to rubble. Not, not, and, and have to completely rebuild starting in probably like 2025, if I had to guess, just to see them be able to try and get back to just being able to be a winning program. This is bad. And it's bad for the SEC, in my opinion, because Georgia and Florida need that competition in the East. It makes the East better. Auburn has to play Georgia every year. Alabama has to play Tennessee every year. I know Auburn fans are out there saying, man. And, and, and for some reason, I don't quite understand the beef that some Auburn fans have with Tennessee and vice versa. Have you ever heard of the saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Exactly. They, they hate all the same teams. They hate Alabama. They hate Florida. They hate Georgia. I understand there used to be a, a consistent schedule that featured Tennessee on, on, on it every year for Auburn football those days are like 40 or 50 years in the past get over it man those guys can only help you if they're good only help you if of course if they're I know good, they, they knock off they, they can knock off Alabama consistently they can handle Georgia consistently you want them to be good you don't want a free dumpster fire cupcake win nope. which is what this program is training and you don't want that for your two biggest rivals every year if you, you want to have that. if you want to have beef and basketball, fine. Football's not the place to have it. Tennessee's the Agreed. team that you want. If you're Auburn, that's the tennis. That's the team you want to be good in this league consistently. And I know they had run-ins in the SEC championship, and there's history there. I get it, but it does help you. It does help you. Regardless, like Auburn's going to have to play somebody good in the SEC championship. They're going to have to play Georgia or Florida or somebody good. Like at that point in the year, like it doesn't matter if it's Tennessee or not. Tennessee's at least going to make things hard for the teams that you play in the regular season. It's going to make it hard on them during the run of the year. So it, it would be a good thing if Tennessee's good. And the SEC, definitely, it would be good for them as well. We wrap up the first hour on the other side of this break on On the Line. Once again, another thank you there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for coming on the show with us today. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at, at @RadioALSports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Last segment of hour number one on On the Line. About an hour and eight minutes following us on ESPN 106.7 on Fox Sports Central Alabama. The Drive with Bill Cameron follows us every weekday here, 4 to 6 p.m. Make sure you check that out as well. Another thank you to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for hopping on the show with us in that last segment. If you missed it, go and check out the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Noel Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. 
Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. All right, crime show junkies, it's new episodes of NCIS on CBS at 7 and at 8. Keeping a little bit with the theme of crime, Melissa McCarthy will have you rolling with Spy on FX Movies at 6.30. Full slate of college basketball on Tuesday night at 5.30 on Big Ten Network. Purdue at number 15, Ohio State. At the 6 p.m. time slot, number 6, Tennessee at Florida on ESPN. Maryland at one loss, number 7, Michigan on FS1. South Carolina at number 19. Missouri on SEC Network, USC at Oregon State on ESPN2, and Miami at Syracuse on ACC Network. At 7.30 on Big Ten Network, Penn State will face off with number 22, Illinois. At the 8 p.m. time slot, we wrap up the night with Seton Hall and number 3, Villanova on FS1, number 18, Alabama at LSU on ESPN2, Ole Miss at Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl of Basketball on SEC Network, and Duke at Pittsburgh on ESPN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. The Egg Bowl of basketball. Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And, you know, you just hope it doesn't get ugly like football, right? But I think that one's at the hump. I think that one's at Mississippi State. Let me look at my – it is. So, you know, we'll do our college basketball predictions for, for tonight's games. You know, Tuesday, Saturday games are always, you know, packed schedules, especially when you're talking about the SEC. SEC typically playing on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. So we'll go through some picks in the, in the second half of the show here we, we've got some good ones some some ranked teams in action tonight so you have that to look forward to in our number two we got a couple of minutes left in our number one here let's take it to the nfl on a hot topic right now across the landscape of the national football league right now as we head into the offseason for most teams only four teams remain in the nfl playoffs houston texans and now the New York Jets, two franchises that have received the butt of the joke, I think, in the NFL for the past year. Jets for being the Jets and finishing 2-14. and 14, And then the Texans for having traded away talented receivers and pieces that now are making them pay for it. And for having such a terrible year, Bill O'Brien gone. Deshaun Watson to the Jets seems like the link that could make sense in the NFL though for both of these teams and in the directions that they're going and and that's what I'm seeing out there right now as a a potential thing you're a big NFL guy you're the resident NFL guy here so does this make sense for the New York Jets to unload some draft picks onto Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans receiving those draft picks but losing the guy that they just they just emptied the bank for there's really only two teams right now that are there's two teams that are above everybody else in this department and it's the Jets with the highest length and then the Miami Dolphins which it's they're probably the second you know hottest trail right now the Jets it makes a lot of sense there's a good there's a lot of good to unpack here if you're Deshaun Watson who has the no trade clause and could deny it you have a new culture shift coming in with Robert Sala from San Francisco who's also bringing along Mike LaFleur, who is, you know, a Shanahan guy. Quarterbacks love playing in those Shanahan systems. It's very, very quarterback friendly. Who'd you just say was coming with him? Mike LaFleur, not not Matt. Mike. Okay. Not not Matt, Mike. So you have him as offensive coordinator, another Shanahan guy. Just to clarify, not the Packers head coach. <laughs> not the Packers head coach. But Mike LaFleur, who yeah, people, is... You had to differentiate that for folks. Cause, people hear LaFleur and they're like... Hold on, wait a minute. Wait. He's coaching in a playoff game this Saturday. Or the, wait, is it Saturday or is it wait, this I weekend, this period? One is, uh, this one is going to be on Sunday now because we only have two games left. But yeah, uh, the Jets, a lot of good to really offer there. They have a lot of picks. You know, they have two picks overall. I think that's probably... Or two first-round picks. Good culture, good culture swap. And again, Sean Watson was in Brooklyn last night watching the Nets game again it's really getting hot to the Jets but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody else kind of stole it away from them
That's it for hour number one of On the Line. Noah Garner and Levi Fitzwater with you. We'll be back for hour number two in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Call into the show at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. If you missed the first hour, go and check out the podcast wherever you get your podcast a big thank you to jeremy law of radio alabama sports for joining us in the first hour levi we need to come up with a twitter poll yeah we didn't have to do a twitter poll today we gotta we, right, to we get need one. to get one i'm on the verge of making it i'm on the, <laughs> i really am i'm on the verge of making it would you go to tennessee for some chicken nuggets Right yes now, or no? right now I would. Or yes and yes. Right, right. now I would. I'm I am incredibly hungry, and chicken nuggets sound <laughs> amazing. I'd walk out of this studio right now, drive up to Tennessee for some chicken nuggets. That would be ah, just some of the stuff that has unfolded in Tennessee. We'll, we'll get a Twitter poll up. We'll we'll talk about that off air during the break. We'll get one up over the break, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll retouch on that at the start of the next segment. But let's go back to where we opened up the show today. Auburn offensive coaching staff, it's full. We got uh, All five guys are a part of that offensive coaching staff right now, have uh, all field positions. We ranked them, and we went through five through three for everybody, and they were the exact same, which I have a feeling two and one will be. This is not a list where I would expect to get too much diversity, but it does allow us to dig into that offensive coaching staff in its entirety and allow us to break it down in its full. We'll eventually do this for the defensive side once they get linebackers sorted out on that side of the ball for the Auburn Tigers. It could be safeties as well. It depends on which one Auburn decides to fill over there. At Point Gardner and at Levi Fitzwater with you on Twitter. Make sure you check out the show once again wherever you find your podcast. Five through three for us there. Brad Bedell at tight ends was five. Four was Cornelius Williams. And three was Carnell Williams. Now let's get into it. Number two, Levi, take it away. Who is your second coach on your list uh, for me it's will friend of course got to go with the offensive line coach who has put guys into the nfl coached a lot of all americans has a lot of experience at this position and frankly this is the position that i want to see auburn improve the most on i think they make a really good hire here with bringing will friend he has continuity with offensive coordinator mike bobo i think he can come in and really solidify this line that has been so abysmal here lately especially towards the end of that Gus Malzahn tenure it just seems like a really good hire to bring in a guy who has a lot of reputable offensive line experience especially in Tennessee and has had pretty good offensive line production outside of this past year which we're not holding that against anybody with the situation he was in so I think this is a good pick it or a good he's a really 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 good pickup for a offensive line coach Again, pairs well with Mike Bobo. They worked together before. And 
I think this is probably the second best hire they've made, and it's going to, in my opinion, I think it's going to shore up this offensive line and really make improvements. It might not be right away, but I think they'll probably be able to get in some more talent at that line position, actually recruit the offensive line position, and honestly, it's it's needed. We've seen what happens when you get three-star recruits come in to Auburn at the offensive line. You, you get no protection. You have Bo Nix scrambling for his life every time. You can't get the run game established toward the end of the year. It's it's time for a culture change, and I think Will Friend brings in a lot of valuable experience at this line coach. The main thing about Will Friend is the ability to recruit the position. Now, a lot of what has happened at Tennessee right now thrown completely into question. A lot, a lot of that has been thrown completely into question after all of the stuff that we've seen unfold now or reportedly unfold inside that Tennessee football program once again cash in McDonald's bags that is just wild to me and how this maybe hasn't been discovered you know three years into the into the tenure possibly but that that's another conversation for another day and I'm not implying that Will Friend has been a part of that or if that that or that's something that Will Friend had anything to do with because it doesn't look like that that is so I'm just saying that Recruiting-wise at Tennessee, now everything kind of makes a little bit of sense how they were recruiting so well over these past couple of years. Makes um, sense. Makes sense how they were getting a lot of good recruits. Right. It's just like, what is going on? We were all wondering, what is going on? This feels very Ole Miss. This this feels very, very much so like what happened at Ole Miss. Once again, not saying that Will Friend had anything to do with it. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that, you know, it kind of helps when that kind of stuff circulates inside a program to help get some of the the five stars that are on that offensive line like I'm wondering how they were able to bring in that talent of course Tennessee we've talked about this already the last couple days we've hammered it home they're a top 10 team in terms of wins all time in the FBS they're a very historic program so they are able to recruit it I, I feel like Tennessee as a brand can recruit itself pretty well now of course the past couple of years the past 10 years really have been a hard 10 years for them and it's really put a damper on that recruiting but the development from Will Friend, I think, is the question mark when you look at his hire. But I think in terms of uh, one of the most impactful hires that Auburn has made and ranking these coaches, Will Friend's two on my list as well because of what he's going to bring to the table in terms of recruiting offensive linemen to Auburn, which is a posi- which has been horrible, terrible at Auburn. Sure. Insert bad adjective here. Insert synonym for bad right here when you're talking about recruiting offensive, offensive line at Auburn. As one of the worst offensive line recruiting jobs in the entire SEC the last three years, four years maybe. And Auburn desperately needs help in that category. And Will Fred brings immediate relief there. And you're already seeing news articles break across the board about, you know, there, there's even an offensive tackle for Tennessee that, that was a recruit that's decommitting from the Vols. And, of course, the guy that recruited him over there was Will Friend. And now he's going to uh, – He's going he's gonna to click really well with the guy that was already recruiting him there, right? So that's that's the situation there, you know, that, that I think you're going to see unfold here for Auburn is you're going to see better linemen coming in, or at least the ability to recruit linemen is going to be better. And that unit's never going to be skimpy again. As long as he's here, I don't think you're going to see that unit be as skimpy as it has been on the plains for Auburn. Because right now you're wondering, like, you're having to move guys from – from tackle to guard, you, you, we're wondering who's going to play tackle. You're having to go out and get grad transfers every year, having to get grad transfers this year. It's just not a whole lot to work with on the depth chart right now, and that's going to change. So Will Friend will be a friend to offensive linemen on the planes. And then the number one, the only guy that's left, and the guy that I think is going to make the most impactful change 
at Auburn this year, Mike Bobo. And this one, not as much about his scheme. We've, we've talked in depth about his scheme and how that's going to change things here. He's got more pro-style tendencies in the spread than most coaches do in this day and age. Of course, everybody's out of the shotgun these days, but he's going to use the tight end. That's going to change in this offense. What's really going to be impactful for Mike Bobo is what he brings at the most important position on the field, and that is the quarterback position. I, I'm on the Locked On Auburn podcast tomorrow with Zach. Um, just you know, He brought me on as a guest for tomorrow's show, and, and I make this statement about Mike Bobo is he's a quarterback connoisseur. That's what I'm going to call him. Like He knows his quarterbacks. He developed them at Georgia. He's got Gunnar Stockton coming, so he knows how to also recruit, and I think he knows how to evaluate talent at the quarterback position as well. He knows how to recruit the position. Only good things can this mean for the Auburn quarterback room moving forward. And that's an area outside of offensive line that Auburn desperately needed. Development at quarterback. Possibly one of the major stains and one of the major knocks in the Gus Malzahn tenure that everybody had, or most people had, on Malzahn. The one thing that you hear often is people griping and complaining about the development of the quarterback position. And they're going to have to get things started off right. But they've already got a dude in there with talent. I don't think it was ever about evaluating talent anymore. I think now after we've looked at the whole sample size for Malzahn, I don't know if it was about evaluating talent. I think it actually may have really been about the development of quarterbacks. And I think you look at it and he's going to Bobo's going to bring that ability to do both he's going to be able to evaluate and recruit QBs and I think he's going to be able to develop them and and he'll be able to do it also under the tutelage of Brian Harson, who's got a great track record at developing at at developing QBs as well Bobo comes in as a great quarterback whisperer quarterback connoisseur whichever one you want to describe him as he's gotten a lot out of great quarterbacks I mean he put Matthew Stafford in the league he worked with a guy like Aaron Murray who was pretty underwhelming in his size and stature and ability to play quarterback at the next level, but he got the most out of a guy like that. So I think a guy with like Bo Nix, who is infinitely more talented than a quarterback like Aaron Murray and most of the quarterbacks that were coming through South Carolina in his tenure there, I think he can get the most out of this. And like you said, he pairs well with Brian Harson, a guy who has also had a great track record of getting the most out of quarterbacks and developing them, something that Auburn fans have been wanting for some time there's not been a real development at the quarterback position in the Gus Malzahn era and Bobo brings that to this offense he also might be bringing Gunnar Stockton along with him a you know certainly looks like it it's really hot the trail is hot for Gunnar Stockton to be coming to Auburn where he was committed to South Carolina decommits after my Bobo leaves the guy who was recruiting him primarily to South Carolina again it's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack with Mike Bobo. It's a little bit of a different situation. Obviously, your offense coordinator is probably going to be your favorite hire out of the offensive offensive coaches that it come It better in. be. It has to be. It's the most impactful. It's the most important one. Well, it, it better be your favorite or else they probably didn't do a very good job of hiring the offensive coordinator. <laughs> exactly. And a lot, of people, a lot of people weren't very happy about the Mike Bobo hire because they— It was pretty split. Was, I'd it was, say it was about 50-50. It was, it was split. It's, I think it, more people were okay with it than not. But I, and that should – well, I, I don't know. It's been, it's been a while since Auburn retired Bobo. That that won't be our Twitter poll. I was about to take it in that direction. We'll, we'll figure something else out. It really – it feels a lot like when they hired Coach Harson. how a lot of people immediately were not fans of it. But then you see a lot of people who over time are – they start really thinking about it and really looking into it, and they're like, you know what? This, this is pretty good. Pretty good. They're still – they're still my Bobo haters. 
there's still Brian Harson haters out there in the Auburn community that they didn't. I've talked to them. They don't person. like either hire. I've I, I've talked to a lot of them. I've seen a lot of people who don't like either of these hires. But yeah. you got to be patient. And I think Mike Bobo is a good hire for Auburn's offense coordinator. Giving ev- given everything that's happened, given the circumstances we're sitting in right now, I think he's going to get so much out of Bo Nix. And if he doesn't, then it's it's time to move on from Bo Nix and you potentially have a guy like Gunnar Stockton coming in that you could really take Auburn to the next level with if you develop him correctly. But I think he's going to get a lot out of Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix is going to take a big step forward and sometimes that's what it is. I mean, we've talked about the analogy with Baker Mayfield going through three coordinators his first three years before he finally got one with consistency and competency. And I don't know. Let's see if that happens with Bo Nix. He's had two offense coordinators his first two years. And it may not necessarily be finding someone who's competent. Sometimes it's just finding one that resonates with a guy who's taking snaps. Sometimes it's just a ma- sometimes it's just a chemistry. It's just a matching thing. I Freddie mean, Kitchens worked wonders with Baker and the Browns offense the year that the Browns fired Hugh Jackson two years ago and that was why they hired Freddie Kitchens to be head coach and then for some reason whatever there was a disconnect last year on the offensive side of the ball and now you look at Kevin Stefanski take over and he's he's found something with his quarterback right and it's just some systems click better for uh, for different quarterbacks you know different strokes for different folks and Bo Nix maybe just didn't click in the scheme that he was in, and maybe this is the scheme that fits him better, and I, and I, and I think it is. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. We want to hear from you on this. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Which of these coaches will make the biggest impact on this staff right now? And I, I, I'm i somewhere between on the Twitter poll at the moment. I, I don't know. Like Going into next year, which one of these coaches right now will make the biggest impact for this Auburn football program that I don't know what the Twitter poll yet it's either going to be which position group is going to take the biggest leap forward or which coach will make the biggest impact but wrapping up this segment with you real quick I want your thoughts on this which position group do you think will make the biggest jump forward uh, of all of these groups that we've talked about today I think the tight end group will make the biggest jump it. because I love it because no production exactly. to more production. It, the bar the bar is so, so low. low. The bar is so low from the production standpoint. The tight end it kind of like I feel like that's an easy answer because it has to be that answer. One hundred percent. No production to some production. Hugely for it. No no usage to to some usage. Big difference. More of online on the other side of this break. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Our Twitter poll, we we landed on it. On the line poll, which position group will make the biggest jump on offense? Then underneath it, to specify, we mean Auburn's offense. My bad. (laughs) Go find that poll on ESPN 106.7's Twitter account. At ESPN 106.7. Straight out the gates right now. We already got 10 votes. Already two minutes into it. Straight out the gates. Right now, 10% quarterbacks, 50% offensive line, 30% on receivers slash tight ends, and 10% on running backs. I voted tight ends. 
but I had to group that with the receivers. I think the receivers will thrive too. I mean, and, and that's another group. This these guys stepping into the role. You have to remember these guys have no production either. So I think just in terms of pass catching and seeing what Auburn's adding now, Auburn is investing a lot into the passing game moving forward. Auburn's going to be able to run the ball. Don't worry, they're not ignoring that. But Auburn is inve- Auburn is investing a lot into the passing game. Cornelius Williams has experience, wide receivers coach, not only developing all Sunbelt talent with 14 selections there, but on top of that, he was the passing game coordinator at Troy. 290.2 pass yards per game last year was the Troy passing attack. Auburn is investing in revamping that passing attack and changing from the archaic ways of the past. Now, I mean, I've joked so many times, if cavemen could, inv- could invent fire, I knew one day Auburn would be able to invent complex passing you know route trees you know just horrendous route trees for these Auburn receivers and what they knew how to do I think you see the receivers take a step forward they're investing in it at the quarterback position with Brian Harson and Mike Bobo's experience in developing QBs Auburn is investing a lot into the passing game which has been the the biggest letdown on this Auburn offense in the Gus Malzahn tenure period since Nick Marshall left that's it full stop the passing game was the biggest struggle for Auburn when Auburn lost games it was because they could not throw the football and that even reigns true in 2017 when Auburn went to the SEC championship like 2018 Jared Stidham there were warning flags in 2017 of what was to come now I think everybody thought development for him everybody thought that he was going to develop everybody thought that you know year two Auburn was going to be able to follow it up and, and not lose four games five games Guess what? They still found a way to lose five games. And that's a just, once again, it's another point in people's corner when they talk about Auburn not being able to develop quarterbacks. Auburn now investing a lot into that side of things on that. So once again, that's our Twitter poll. On the line poll, which position group will make the biggest jump on Auburn's offense? Right now, quarterbacks at 10%, offensive line at 50%, receivers, tight ends at 30%, and running backs at 10% as the votes continue to flow. And well, now it's dramatic. You know, a minute later, we see offensive lines taking a huge jump. They're at 61% as well. It just keeps it just keeps moving by the second. So go and hop in on that. Once again, find that on ESPN 1067's Twitter account at ESPN 1067. We talked about this now with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports to a degree in the first hour. You can go back and find that conversation wherever you get your podcast. Alabama tonight thrust into another major conference game. Will the Crimson Tide pass the test this time as a ranked team? For the first time since December 2017, Alabama is ranked. For the first time since 2011, Alabama is ranked as high as number 18 in the AP poll. And they, as Jeremy pointed out, what a way to start that out, having to go on the road against one of the SEC's best and one of the tougher places it's been to play at in the SEC since Will Wade's got there, LSU, hosting Alabama tonight. It's a talented team in LSU. A lot of people are sleeping on them. We brought it up with Jeremy Law that LSU has not lost a home game this year in Baton Rouge, 8-0. They've only lost one game to Florida in their past 10. I think Alabama struggles in this one. I think they come off of that hot streak, and I think LSU might – I think LSU ends it. I think they Alabama goes into Baton Rouge. They struggle a little bit. LSU – Again, a talented team that seems to be slept on a little bit in the SEC, all a bit of talented as Alabama, as we also noted. I mean, they're only a one, one and a half point underdog LSU is Alabama, and it's been shifting throughout the day. So I'm going to go 
kind of hard to call it an upset when it's that close, but I think LSU is going to end Alabama's hot streak tonight. I think they go in there, they play well, and I think that kind of, it just has that feel that this is going to be the roadblock game that Alabama will cool off a little bit. You can't win them all. There's, it doesn't take away from the fact that they're the number 18 team. I just think that they've been hearing a lot of how good they are the past few weeks. They go into Rupp, handle Kentucky as well as they did. They beat the brakes off of Arkansas, I think. I think this is just where it cools down. I think this is where the energy dies a little bit in a tough place to play. Granted, not a lot of people there you know, as much as usual, but I think LSU can, can get the tie today. One of the biggest causes for concern for Alabama going into this basketball game. Alabama now, they're living right now. They're living, they're 6-0, but they resemble a team that lives and dies by the three. Now without Bruner down low, you've got questions about Alabama's ability to have an interior presence with scoring. Bad matchup for Alabama tonight in what LSU does well on the defensive side of the basketball versus what Alabama wants to do on the offensive side. Alabama in conference play right now, as far as three-point attempts are concerned versus two-point attempts, 37.3 two-point attempts, 29 three-point attempts per game. That 29 three-point attempts per game is second in the league. Alabama in conference play up to this point, they're first in league play in three-point percentage with 39% from beyond the arc. But they're also playing the team in the SEC that defensively is second in the league defending the three-point line, only giving up 27% from beyond the arc. So something's got to give a little bit. And on the road, after 6-0, law of averages, you feel like things might cool off a little bit for Alabama on that side of the basketball. But what might be even more particularly concerning for Alabama tonight is two-point percentage and what they're facing with LSU. LSU has an interior presence. LSU is able to score inside the arc. Two-point percentage, they're 52% from two-point land in the SEC, which ranks for fourth in this league. That's a big part of when you go to KenPom.com, if you look at LSU's adjusted offensive efficiency, they're fifth in the country in offensive efficiency. They've got their backdrop tonight. They're on their home floor. I have a hard time believing that LSU's going to have a hard time scoring the basketball tonight without Bruner for Alabama. Alabama's been spectacular on defense, too. They've been spectacular during this seven-game winning streak, but things look like they're stacking up against Alabama for this to be potentially an upset game for them. And not to mention, just talking about two-point percentage there, Alabama inside the arc shooting a paltry pedestrian 48%, which is ninth in the league. Now, with all that being said, and I'm talking about this, what these two teams do well on the offensive end of the floor, the other team does exceptionally well at defending. Alabama's first in the SEC in defending inside the arc, in defending two-point percentage. They're first in the league. Opponents only shoot 41% from inside the arc. That is outrageous, outrageous. Under 50% from inside the arc is not good for a college basketball team or any level, even in the NBA. You want to be scoring at about a 50% or higher clip in two-point percentage. 50% is really considered average. In the SEC right now, above 50% is going to have you in that top four, top five range. I have questions, though, because this is Alabama without one of their rim protectors. Alabama hasn't been a great shot-blocking team this year. I just have questions going on the road without Bruner. Law of averages, too. At some point, this streak has to cool off. This LSU team matches up well with what Alabama wants to do. Alabama, 
you know, just to play devil's advocate, does match up well with what LSU wants to do. As a team, though, when you look at offensive efficiency and just shooting a solid field goal percentage, LSU's getting their buckets around the rim, shooting 49% from the floor totally, combining that with three-point percentage. They're 49% from the floor. Alabama only 43%. I think the offensive efficiency for LSU in this game means the difference because they're on their home floor, and I think they're going to have things a little bit easier on that side of the floor than Alabama is going on the road, missing some key pieces. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that LSU, they have the benefit of playing on their home court. I think that it's going to be a little bit easier. Again, and also in a in an era where there's not as many fans, your sight lines are a little bit better, and you're at home. Your sight lines are what you're used to in practice without a lot of fans there, not a lot of noise. So I think this this game from a matchup perspective just really leans LSU's way. I think that they match up really well with Alabama, and again, missing some key pieces on the road after being so hot for so long. You said it, the law of averages seems that eventually you have to drop one, and it seems that this is the game that could really trip Alabama up on this hot streak. Starting with the Auburn game, Alabama has had the target on their back. Uh, Alabama has had the pressure. They didn't have pressure going into the Tennessee game because they were largely flying under the radar going into conference play. It was still relatively early in this winning streak. Then they upset Tennessee. They were at home against Florida. They won by 15. I don't think there was a whole lot of pressure there. You go into the Auburn game and they're starting Sharif Cooper, there's all this kind of pressure when they're going on the road. So going to the Auburn game was the beginning of pressure. Then you've got to beat Kentucky on the road. Also pressure there. You're going into Rupp Arena. They want to win. They're undefeated. This is trying to claim the SEC. They did it. They passed that with flying colors. They go into the Arkansas game at home. By now, there's got to be a target on Alabama's back. So up to this point, something that I've been very impressed with with the Crimson Tide basketball team, they've handled pressure very well. But up until now, they haven't been ranked. Putting a number beside your name, for some reason, that can mess with some teams mentally. We'll find out tonight if it messes with Alabama mentally when they go out there on the floor. How do they handle this new level of added pressure that they're now not just on the conference stage grabbing people's attention, they're on the national stage grabbing people's attention and it's games like this against LSU that can really move Alabama up seed lines when it comes to the NCAA tournament and that's important if they want to make a run they need to get they need to get favorable seeding they they don't need to be an eight seed and have to play a Villanova or a Michigan or or or, or a Kansas or somebody like that in the second round because and if you were to win that that's awesome because Auburn's been through that and we've seen what that's looked like on the plains but nonetheless it's it is still a difficult task if you don't win games like this because it truly does it it truly does affect it in march it really does on the other side of this break we got 30 minutes left and on the line stay with us here on espn 106.7 and on fox sports central alabama 98.3 fm don't go anywhere Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. A lot of votes already on that Twitter poll that we put up. The on the line poll, which position group will make the biggest jump on offense? And to specify, we mean Auburn's offense. That's on at ESPN 106.7. We got 56 votes already. 57% 57% heavily leaning offensive line here. The, the next closest is quarterbacks at 21%. Levi, people disagree with us. The, the people have spoken. I don't, I don't think that re- receivers and tight ends, folks have spoken. I don't, I don't think they're getting back into this. 
I, I don't think so. It doesn't seem like they're agreeing with us right now. So, okay. I mean, we'll uh, – but, I mean, to be fair, I think offensive line is probably the next one. I think that's the one people also want to see make that jump because it's been so bad as well. I think I think people are actually sick of what we've seen from the offensive line the past few years. So, that might be a little bit more of the – I don't think run blocking was that bad. Oh no, the this run blocking year. wasn't. It was mainly pass block. Pass I think run blocking actually was better this year than it was the year before. Yeah, run blocking wasn't the issue. It was primarily pass blocking. Pass block was was absolutely. But how much horrible. of that though was accentuated because Bone Nix feels phantom pressure? That is also a question that you have to that you have to answer just a tad too, and it's hard to know, but. The, the unit before this, the all-senior-laden unit that Auburn lost going into this year, was excellent at pass blocking. Two tackles went in the draft, both to the Eagles. They, they really love those tackles, Driscoll and Winogo. Auburn, as a team that gave up sacks per game in 2019, was towards the top of the league in sacks per game allowed. I think they were only allowing about a little bit over a one a game. Tackles for loss this year, though, for Auburn, which is more of a run stat to me, Auburn was Auburn was a lot better at that this year, I think, than they were going into the year before. Run blocking really wasn't as bad, I think, as people want to say it was. Because Auburn ran the football well this year. For the, for the first time, I think, in a long time, Auburn's averaging you know near 200 rushing yards a game. Auburn was doing a very good job of running the football. Now, part of that's Tank Bigsby. You know, I'll, I'll give him some credit there. He, he created his own space, too. But they go hand-in-hand, hand, I think. And so I understand everybody's thoughts on offensive line, but – I think we see the the most dramatic change at wide receiver and tight ends from what we've seen recently with just how they're used. And then I think quarterback, I think we could see some some big leaps in Bo Nix's development this year. It, it's, it, it, it's time now for him to take a step forward. I think these guys are going to get a hold of his talent that's hidden away and they're going to make him better. But let's get into some college basketball picks here. We're going to keep up with our record as the year goes on. We got six tonight for you and we'll start it off here on on the line getting you some picks levi and i will take you through them here let's get it started off now purdue at number 15 ohio state tonight 5 30 p.m big 10 network purdue at ohio state good big 10 matchup i think i'm gonna take the buckeyes in this one i think i'm gonna take the buckeyes i don't really watch a lot of Big Ten basketball, but a trend that I have seen from watching and keeping up with it, it has been really hard to win on the road in the Big Ten this season. It seems that the home teams have so been true. winning those games. Again, we watched Michigan absolutely dominate Wisconsin and then turn around and get beat this weekend on the road. So I think row that boat in basketball, baby. I'm just gonna Minnesota t- did it to them. I'm just gonna take Ohio State. I'm gonna take the home team. I think that's You're big where on trends I too. Like you notice that stuff mainly because you follow the betting lines and whatnot. You're big into that side of sports too. I'm with you, Ohio State. This Ohio State team now this is a good basketball game. Don't don't be shocked just because Purdue, you know, doesn't have a number beside their name. Purdue at ten and five, five and three in the conference. Ohio State's five and three in the conference, eleven and three overall on the year. Fifteenth ranked team in the country. Both of these teams going in on a three game win streak the difference here offensive efficiency ohio state does a lot more with the basketball when they've got it in their hands than purdue does sixth most efficient offensive team in the country are the buckeyes according to kimpom.com i'm going ohio state as well number six tennessee at florida 6 p.m espn the first game of our sec slate today i'll take florida i like florida here i think florida's gonna get the upset here i think they uh they might not get the upset, but there is a good bit of value there. 
Maybe not get the upset. I do love the plus seven line. I think they're probably more settled around a plus five and a half underdog at home. But I think that that's where I think if you really want to get some value, Florida plus seven, they might not actually win this ball game. I'll take the value on the upset, though, just because the line just seems that it's a little too high for what I think would be Tennessee coming in there. And I don't know. Tennessee's such a great basketball team. They have the one loss on the year. It came to Alabama, who right now was scorching hot. They lost by eight, of course. Defense travels in any sport that you play. Defense travels, and Tennessee is one of the best in the country on the defensive end, only allowing 57.2 points per game. Look at this Florida team, losers of three of their last five. Tennessee winners of four of their last five. I'm not going to be fooled here. Tennessee with the dub on the road at Florida. Staying at 6 p.m. on FS1. Maryland at number seven, Michigan. Michigan was undefeated going into the weekend. They're now newly beaten. One loss, Michigan. Still sitting, though, at exactly where they were going into the weekend at number seven at the AP poll. Give me Michigan. I don't think it's, again, same. Spot on. Same. Like, I think this is easy. Uh, same same reasoning. I mean, it's hard to win on the road in the Big Ten this year. Also, I mean, Michigan, I think, is just a better team than Maryland. They're at home. They're coming off that first loss of the year. I think they're just going to come out and play just an outstanding game of basketball tonight and really get the, you know, get it back together. Again, had a not a great loss or, you know, not a great performance against Minnesota on the road. I think they come back home and handle Maryland pretty well. Boy, Michigan is fun to watch. On KimPom.com, they're ranked like fifth overall, I think, on, on, according to his efficiency margin. Everybody keeps hearing me reference it. It's just all about efficiency in those nerd stats. And this is a top 10 team on both sides of the basketball and what they're doing. They've been tested they've played in the thick of the big 10 up to this point they've already played maryland as well they beat them by 11 at maryland well now they're on their home floor familiar backdrop michigan wins this one on their home hardwood so right now the only one we've disagreed on up to this point we've disagreed on one of our first three there tennessee and florida you got florida i got tennessee we're both picking michigan and ohio state 8 p.m. FS1, Seton Hall at number three, Villanova. A good little Big East matchup there tonight in the late stages of tonight's basketball schedule. It is funny how we both have our difference, our different nerd stats. You love your Kim Palm, you, you love, love your, your efficiency. Lines. I love watching the lines and watching the efficiency. They tell you a lot. Vegas is scary. It's, I mean, when you see a team that you think is valued a little bit lower, I mean, again, like that Florida pick where. I see a little bit more value. I think they're probably plus five instead of plus seven. Doesn't mean they're going to win that game, but it's a lot of value. But to go back on that Seton Hall Villanova, I think because of the COVID issues, they, I mean, Villanova hasn't played in what, about a month, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since they took the court and played. I think it was probably before Christmas, if I'm even, it's been a while. So I think Seton Hall can really come in and maybe get the upset i think i'm going to lean that villanova wins a close one please just do this please I, just I, go ahead i think Dig Vill- the hole i think villanova wins a close one but i still think seton hall plus the nine is the betting line that i would take so i think it's closer than nine but i don't think seton hall quite has enough to upset again covid's been a beast we talked about with miles garrett all year had, hadn't played right these guys haven't played in a month we'll see how that, that works out but i think take the points here with seton hall but i still think villanova wins this game on the offensive end of the floor and in the half court, Villanova is so methodical in what they do on the offensive side. They're 351st in the country in tempo, according to KimPom.com. 63.6 possessions per game 
for the Wildcats. They're eight and one on the year, and this is a team that's super experienced. Last year, I would have loved to have seen what they could have done in the tournament. I think that they would have been an early favorite for some, especially in the betting lines. But for them to have played that slow of a game of basketball and for them to average 80.1 points per game on the offensive end of the floor should speak volumes to what this team does scoring the basketball. Too much to handle for Seton Hall going on the road. Once again, offensive teams are going to flex when they're on their home floor. And Villanova is a strong offensive team. So give me Nova in this one. Number 18, Alabama at LSU, 8 p.m. ESPN2. We talked about this one in our last segment. Go find the podcast wherever you can get your podcast. I'm still, still going with LSU. Still going with LSU in this one. I think they end it. You, you noted that they're going to have an easier time scoring the basketball in their own home court where they're 8-0. They're, they've only lost once in their past 10 games. I think, again, law of averages comes into mind. You start thinking, yeah, you know what? You got to lose one eventually. got to cool down. I think it's just a matchup that really benefits LSU. So I'm just going to take the Tigers in this one. Spoke a lot about what these two teams do well in that last segment. Alabama, very good. Very good at shooting the three in conference play. They're top of the league, shooting nearly 40% at conference play from beyond the arc. LSU, though, second in the league in defending the three-point shot. LSU, great at scoring inside. Alabama, great at defending inside. Alabama's like at the top of the league in defending the two-point percentage. LSU's like at the top of the league in their two-point shooting percentage. So when I look at a game like this, and these two teams are nightmare matchups for both sides, I'm going to lean towards the home team in this one. You already mentioned law of averages. I'm going to lean towards the home team in this one because they're going to be more comfortable in scoring on their home floor. Once again, offensive teams like LSU averaging 86.1 points per game are going to flex on their home floor. 49% field goal percentage. Alabama at only 43%. So I I think that's going to come back to bite them. They're going to die by the three ball tonight or the Crimson Tide. And then last pick here, Egg Bowl of Basketball. Ole Miss at Mississippi State, 8 p.m. SEC Network. I want absolutely no part of this game in picking it. Like this, this game, this game has just such a bad line for me personally. I'm sitting there looking at minus two. Would you and a want half. my prediction first? Then let me sell you on it. Go ahead. I'm go going ahead. State, and I know it's at two and a half, which is you know that's a push in college basketball. Two and a half points to the Bulldogs. I'm going to go with Mississippi State at this one, mainly because the hump's a hard place to play. You look at these teams over their last five state. Three and two over their last five. Old Miss one and four. One of these teams is playing better basketball than the other. I think Mississippi State in this ball game has a little bit more offensive firepower, especially at home taking on this Old Miss team. That'll be the difference. This is not going to be a pretty game of basketball. This game is going to be a microcosm of what we see from from football season. But I, I think Mississippi State ekes it out at home. I, I mean, I agree with Mississippi State winning. It's just, it's a hard game to really predict and cap with. There's just, I think the lines probably should be more around 2.3, not 2.5, just based <laughs> off projections. And that just gives you no value when you're picking. So, I mean, that's that's the difference in about two to three percentage points most of the time. So, again, Mississippi State, I'll take the home team at the hump. But it's, it's a game I don't want any part of ever having to pick. Or on the line. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you at Point Gardner and at Levi Fitzwater to you on Twitter. 
Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. we got about eight minutes left in the show before we get out of here. About 12 minutes until the drive with Bill Cameron will be following us on ESPN 106.7. So stay here for that. They'll be taking your calls. Bill Cameron, Dan Peck with you. Once again, the drive with Bill Cameron following us here after On the Line. Let's wrap up the show now. Talk a little bit about Auburn basketball's game tomorrow against Arkansas and then maybe diving into some of the other SEC news out there. Let's briefly touch on this Arkansas game a little bit. Looking at the upcoming four-game stretch for Auburn. Arkansas on the road, South Carolina on the road, they then go on and host a ranked Missouri team right now that's at 19 this week. We don't know what they'll be next week. And then they will go to number two Baylor next Saturday in what could be a, a primetime evening matchup if Auburn continues to win through this stretch. We touched on this a little bit yesterday on the show about what does Auburn need to do over these next four games to make the most of it. It's a brutal four-game stretch. Th- three of these teams are for sure tournament teams, I feel like. Bruce Pearl uh has gone on saying that he thinks that Arkansas is still a tournament team despite some of the things that have happened to them recently Arkansas is on a bit of a slide right now two and four in league play after opening up one and oh so they're one and four through their last five games are the Razorbacks ten and four overall four games back of first place just got throttled by Alabama over the weekend 90 to 59 can Auburn go into Fayetteville tomorrow and pull off what would be a big win to get back up to three and four after Auburn started out zero and four. Auburn could be three and four, and after Arkansas started out, you know, one and zero in league play, they could be three and four as well, and the two positions could be completely flipped. It's two teams trending in different directions right now. I mean, you see Auburn, who has caught a little bit of a streak right here. Arkansas trending down a little bit. I think Auburn has all the tools to go into Arkansas and win this game. It's just will they be able to do it? Will they be able to overcome it? They got a lot going for them. They're playing in a tough road environment without a lot of fans. So it doesn't feel as bad as it normally would be to go into Fayetteville and play the Razorbacks in this Still situation. Still all about shooting backdrop, though. That yep. really messes with players' minds lines. when they're shooting the ball. It, it changes things dramatically. Those shooting lines are important. especially that, uh, The sight lines are really important when you're looking at a team, you know, especially like Auburn, who hasn't shot the ball very well from threes you know not as well as you would want this team to shoot from three I think there's a lot more talent than production if you know if I'm being 100% honest it's a tough one and this one could be really really important for Auburn in this next stretch if they get I think you said it yesterday if they can go better than one of two in these next three you know if you can win one out of Arkansas Missouri I think we both think that South Carolina is a game that is very winnable with their I'm saying current it's situation. A dub. I'm saying it's a win. Yeah, I think that one's a pretty safe Auburn one. Auburn should expect, and Auburn fans should expect to win that basketball game. They should. They should expect that one. So it really comes, who are they going to beat? Can they beat Arkansas on the road? Or Missouri. Or Missouri at home. And Auburn fans should be very pleased if Auburn leaves this four-game stretch 2-2. Two and two. Yes, that would, that would be an incredible win. I would love to see them 3-0 going into Baylor because that's going to sure. be a hype train. It's going to be... It's going to be great for us. It's good radio. It's great for us to talk about. Be a primetime game at Baylor at the number two team in the nation. So Auburn would be 13-6 and six in that scenario. It'd be a really good stepping point for this team. I, it's going to be tough, but every time I count this Auburn team out and think they can't do it, they end up turning around and doing it. So I think that the way these two teams are going, two opposite directions, I think Auburn carries a little bit more momentum in this game, 
and I think they come out and play an exceptional game of basketball. And I think that they're going to give Arkansas a, a lot different of a matchup. Obviously, you have Shreve Cooper playing in this one. That he didn't play in the last game. So, against Arkansas, I think this Auburn team can go in there and win. I think they can. It's going to be hard. Will they? I'll, I'll put an official pick on it tomorrow, but I'm going to sit on it, look over think everything. Think about it tonight. Think about it tonight. I'm going to lay down and go to sleep. I'll go, know, on, I'll go through the nerd stats. You go through the lines. We'll see. Yes. What, we'll see we'll what see, it looks like. We'll see like. what the lines give us. To, we'll yeah. see what those lines and predictions and models go tomorrow, and you'll see what the efficiency stats and everything, and we'll compile together and see where we sit tomorrow. You and I, you were talking about this over the break, and you saying you enjoy picking games with me because we we go at it from different perspectives. You go at it from more of a betting lines perspective, and what does it mean from Vegas, which is very insightful. Vegas is crazy scary close on a lot of things like oh like I, I eyeball emojis like like how yep. close some of these lines can be and how spot on they can be they have to know about sports money's involved they have to know about sports i look at it a little bit more from a, from a matchups and, and efficiency and numbers standpoint i love bringing those two different uh perspectives to it and so we'll, we'll go through that tomorrow in depth with auburn and arkansas something i want to note about this arkansas team although yes they are one in four of their last five you got to look at who they've lost to they lost to alabama undefeated in conference play lsu one loss in conference play tennessee one loss in conference play missouri missouri's got a handful of losses in conference play but still although they're two and two in conference play right now they're eight and two overall and they're ranked they're 19th in the country they've got a top 10 win on their resume they've lost to four quality teams in the sec but they've lost pretty bad they lost 90 to 59 to alabama 92 to 76 to lsu giving up more than 90 points in their last two games they beat georgia by 30 99 to 69 Lost to Tennessee by five. That's not a bad loss. That was four games ago. And then five games ago, they lost by 13 to Missouri. So three of those five losses were bad losses, at least in terms of, of how they performed. They got blown out. This Arkansas team, to me, is closer to being in the middle of the pack than they are to being in the top tier of teams when you look at those results. So I think this is an attainable win for Auburn. Right now, Auburn's playing a little bit better on the offensive end of the floor. I would say, although 85.2 points per game are being scored by Arkansas at the moment, Auburn's sharing the basketball a little bit better, 15.4 assists per game. So if Auburn can hammer some things out on the defensive end of the floor, and Arkansas's only got like 14.9 assists per game, so not a big difference there, but Auburn scored almost 10 points less. Arkansas's generating a little bit more possessions per game than Auburn, I believe. And so when you look at how these two teams play ball right now, I think Auburn's sharing the ball a little bit better than Arkansas is at the moment. And that would lend a hand to kind of some of the results that we've seen so far for Arkansas on the offensive end of the floor, 76 against LSU and 59 against Alabama. But both of those were on the road. They're going to have Auburn at home, and that changes everything in this year's basketball season or any basketball season. It's hard to evaluate this game. This Auburn team's completely different from when they played Arkansas at the beginning of SEC play. Arkansas, I don't think they're different. I just think they've played a really tough last five games. Auburn's going into a really tough four games. And it's important for them to set the tone against Arkansas. You win this game, you're beating South Carolina, and then you're looking at Auburn being on a four-game winning streak going into that Missouri game. That's at home. And then I'm I, if Auburn's on a four-game winning streak going into that Missouri game at home, now I haven't really looked at the matchups and everything, so I do reserve the right to look at that, but I would have a heavy leaning to picking Auburn to pull the upset against Missouri down the line if Auburn can win these next two. I think this one's the most winnable of the next four other than South Carolina. So between Arkansas and Missouri, because obviously Baylor seems like the most far out, between Arkansas and Missouri, this seems to be the most winnable. 
agree. I agree that this one out of Arkansas, Missouri is the most winnable unless something changes, something happens. You don't really know what happens in the future. But again, I think this is the most winnable one. That does it for another edition of On the Line. The Drive with Bill Cameron following us here. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.